0: Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. I've been barbell lifting for seven years. In that time, I've hit some personal records that I'm really proud of. A 615-pound deadlift, a 225-pound shoulder press, and a 465-pound squat. The last couple of years, though, I haven't notched these kinds of big milestones for a combination of reasons, including dealing with injuries, having less time, and experiencing a shift in motivation. A lot of lifters, as well as amateur athletes of all kinds, will follow a similar trajectory as they move from first starting out to getting deeper into their fitness journey. Here to walk us through the phases of that journey is my own strength coach, Matt Reynolds, who's the founder of Barbell Logic Online Coaching. Matt talks about how the things his lifters focus on change as they move from beginner to intermediate to advanced and why it takes longer to get stronger the longer you've been lifting. We then discuss how to rediscover your motivation for training once progress in your one rep maxes slows down by finding new PRs to chase and learning to enjoy the process over the outcome. We also get into how to stay consistent with your workouts when life gets busier as you get older, as well as how to deal with common injuries, both the injuries themselves and the mental game of working through them. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awim.is lifting.
1: All right, Matt Reynolds, welcome back to the show. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, be on it. So, you
0: are the founder and owner of Barbell Logic Online Coaching, where you help people from all walks of life get stronger through barbells. You're also my personal barbell coach, have been for coming up on seven years now, right? That's crazy. Yes. Yeah, that's wild. Seven years, and you're one of my good friends. So, we had you on the show back in 2017, then we had you on previously in 2015. To discuss it's been a while Yeah, it's you been a while. You must not like me that much. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did such a great job on that uh, those episodes kind of walking through, so there I we don't go. know what else to say. <laughs> so yeah, like since that time I've things have changed. Well, one thing I, I love about those episodes, I love getting letters from from listeners saying, Hey, listen to that. That podcast about barbell training with Matt Reynolds, and because of that, I started barbell training, and it's it's I've gotten really strong. And for some of these guys, it's become a, they found a hobby that they really enjoy, and it's brought a lot to their lives. And some of these guys who started barbell training with Barbell Logic, they've gotten super strong. I was looking at this one yeah. guy, Eric Doll. We're gonna give Eric a shout <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, uh, big he, shout out to Eric. So he signed up with Barbell Logic after that 2017 episode. And this guy's a beast now. He's, he's squat. I was looking, he's squatting like 535 for reps. Yep. He's pressing 285. Maybe he got even more than that. That was a long time I was, ago. I was thinking
1: he hit a 300 press okay. recently. So yeah, super right. strong presser.
0: So this guy got strong in super five strong. five years. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to Eric. Eric, I'm proud of you. So I thought I wanted to bring you back on the show because I've been working with you for so long. And I've noticed in that time, my training has changed. As I've been become like an advanced lifter, and I hope we can talk about your experience working with people who've trained for a long time, how training changes, the challenges you you face when you've been doing this for a long time. Because I feel like a lot of stuff out there about barbell training, it's it's geared towards beginners, sure. which which makes sense, right? You got if some if you don't there's a know lot how more to, of them, yeah, there's a lot more of them, and if you don't know stuff, you need to you need to know a lot to get on board. There's not a lot of stuff out there for people who've been doing this for five, six, seven, ten years. Mm. So I want to talk about that. But before we do, elevator pitch, like why do you think everyone should be strong?
1: Is this is something you love to talk about. Why, why do you yeah. think everyone should be strong? Yeah, that's it's definitely one of my favorite things to talk about. I by the way, I, I will say that Art of clients are some of our best clients over the years. Your listeners are outstanding clients. They're they're consistent, they they focus on technique. And so for strength for us, like strength certainly isn't the only thing we do. It's not the be all end all. It's where we start. And we start that because we, if you think about all of the different physical abilities you can have, think about so strength being one of those cardiovascular endurance, mobility, uh, agility, power, speed, all of those things. Strength is the only one that makes all of the other ones better, certainly if untrained and all. So for the untrained individual, just getting strong makes everything else better. Not to, the, not to the nth degree, right? You can't, you can't just squat and deadlift and get strong and go run a marathon. That's certainly, there's some specificity there. But for the person who's trying to get the biggest bang for their buck in the least amount of time, strength training and specifically barbell strength training with the big heavy compound lifts is going to give you the best bang for your buck. You think about the person who's been sitting on the couch watching Netflix all day, and all of a sudden they start to do full range of motion squats. They don't not only get more strong, but they also get more mobile, but this, this is not a two way street. If we go to yoga class and there's nothing against yoga class, I think that's perfectly fine to, to do that. You'll get more mobile, but you will not get more strong. And so what we're trying to do is we're just trying to get better at as many things as we can as quickly as possible as a beginner. There, there is a thing that occurs for beginners, for novices where they get much better, much faster. And th- this isn't just the case in strength training, right? I, r- I remember when I first started playing ping pong as a kid. I had a ping pong table growing up. I don't know if you had anything like that. Grant, I had a, a little brother. We went on summer vacation one time to my aunt and uncle's house and they had a ping pong table. We didn't have one yet. And we played ping pong. They lived up in Chicago and there wasn't much to do in their little suburb, but they had a ping pong table in their basement. And we played ping pong like six, seven, eight hours a day. And we were as you might imagine, horrific the first day. We'd never played. But by the end of that vacation, you know, eight, nine, 10 days later, we were decent at ping pong because we played so much. So so the the amount that you get better at a short amount of time as an absolute beginner is tremendous. And so we want to utilize that. We don't want to waste that on something that gives us a low return on investment. We want to use that on something that gives us a high ROI. And that's what strength training does more than anything else. So strength training is just simply creating the ability or building the ability to produce more force, more force against the barbell, more force against the floor. The athlete that can jump the highest or has the highest vertical jump produces the most amount of force in the shortest amount of time against the floor. That's why we do strength and it, and it carries over. And then the other part of this is for us, our primary demographic that we train are, are really it's guys like you or, or middle-aged people who are really trying to do this to improve their quality of life, not necessarily to become world champion powerlifters. And so, again, strength does such a great job of the return on investment there for just getting them strong quick. And then as time goes on and they become more, maybe the goals change, they decide they want to do you know, mud runs with their, with their wife or something. That's totally fine. Let's get that base of strength in first, and uh, we'll see all those other things improve. And then if we need to kind of veer the ship 5 degrees, 10 degrees, we can do that and we've laid this foundation of strength, which is why we love it. All right. So st- strength improves all facets of your life. Before we talk about the challenges of someone who's been training
0: for a long time, let's talk about the, the biggest challenges that you see in beginner lifters. When someone signs up with you, what are the stuff you have to focus on with them uh, in those first few months?
1: Yeah, it's 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 actually really simple. It's consistency and technique. That's it. In the beginning, somebody's new. So, so it's not it's not a habit to them, right? So at some point, a lot of our strength training clients, again, somebody like an Eric Dahl, strength training for him is, as part of his daily activity is putting on his shoes as eating breakfast. And consistency is tough for a beginner because it's it's a paradigm shift. It's a lifestyle change. Again, we're not doing this for 10 weeks to look good for the Mexico vacation. We're doing this for life. And so consistency is huge. And along with consistency... Is is technique the technique for lifters for beginning lifters is often atrocious. They just don't know how to how to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's why you need a coach. That's why you need a good coach. Is a good coach provides a good eye for technique and accountability for the consistency. And you know you've done this for seven years. Let's let's be honest. You don't really need me to technique coach you anymore. But there's something about when you. So for us to for your listeners, we are an online coaching company. And so I've coached you a handful of times in person, but I've literally coached you thousands of times online. And to this day, every single workout you do, you have to hit record on your cell phone and upload those videos of your heaviest squats or your last squats or deadlifts or whatever, and upload those to me every single workout of every, every single week, right? Four times a week. And then I break those down within 24 hours. And so something happens from an accountability standpoint. When you hit record, It's like, all right, coach is going to see this and he's going to give me feedback on it, that it sort of raises the ante a little bit. And so for the beginner, that technique refinement, if you imagine you're making these massive changes in their technique early on, right? So maybe they're 50% correct or 60% correct in their squat. And we can make changes really from session to session that might improve their squat by 10 or 15 or 20% at the point where you're at, I'm improving your technique by literally 1%, a half a percent, a percentage of a percent. I mean, that's that's the thing. So in the, that's one of the major differences between beginners and advanced lifters is that for beginners, it's all about consistency and technique. Programming doesn't matter. I mean, look, we follow linear progression. We put a little weight on the bar every single time. We think that's the best way to do it. But the reality is that programming piece is so far secondary or third, whatever you want to call it. Like, It's an entire strata below consistency and technique for the beginning lifter.
0: Yeah, I think one issue a beginner lifter, because they don't know a lot, they
1: think programming is the most important. Yeah, everybody reads the magazines and reads the articles and sees what people argue about, and they argue about programming. They rarely argue. First off, nobody argues about consistency because we just know it's true. And then we like to geek out on this thing about technique. Is that high bar squats or low bar squats? Is it sumo deadlifts or conventional deadlifts? And so they think that's the most important. And the reality is it's like, hey, we've got to get the lifts generally correct. We've got to get moving like you're supposed to move, like you were really created to move or evolved to move or what, like those things that you look at the way a two-year-old moves. And we want to move in those ways that we're just made biologically to move. And so that's the goal, is to kind of get back to those days of of moving like we're supposed to move. You know, years and years, decades and decades of sitting in in office chairs and cubicles really pulls us out of that. And so, to be able to to get back to those things, I think are really important for the beginner. So, yeah, technique and consistency are number one. Programming is. I mean, we we, we see high school kids all the time follow ridiculous programs and they make incredible progress, even though the pr- program, you would look at the program and be like, that's not, or the program's made for professional football players or high-level Division One football players. You're like, yeah, but we're talking about 14-year-old mid-pubescent kids, and they still make incredible progress. Why? Because they get in the gym, and they all train together, and there's like this team atmosphere, and they're high-fiving each other, and maybe even their technique might suck, but their consistency is good, and they get better. The program just doesn't matter that much in the beginning. So I say all that to say, like still almost everybody that we start at barbell logic, starts with a basic linear progression. So that that linear, if you think about a line graph, it's just adding five pounds or so to the bar every single workout. That works great for programming.
0: Okay. So as someone transitions from a novice lifter, they've, they've honed in on their technique, they've made training a habit, they're consistent. What are the challenges that you see with an intermediate lifter?
1: Yeah. So you'll start to see this transition for the intermediate lifter, where technique becomes a little less important because it's, it should be on point and consistency as well. Like if you're now, again, there are times we have intermediate lifters who are not super consistent, but if you've trained consistently, if you've trained, let's say over 90% of the time you're supposed to train and your technique is, you know, 90% correct plus, then that's where programming starts to become more important. I think the accountability still is super important with a coach and, but the programming becomes really important. And so for several years ago, back in 2000, maybe 17 or 18, my, my original podcast partner, Scott Hamburg, who's also been on, on your show, we started to work through the idea of what we call minimum effective dose programming. So the idea of changing a single variable or the least number of variables for the, for the greatest return on investment. So little small changes to continue to make progress for the long term. Again, because we're not doing this for 10 weeks or six weeks or 12 weeks, we're doing this for 10 years. Or 20 years. And so programming becomes really important as you become more of an intermediate. So I think you go from the programming doesn't matter that much as a beginner to the programming matters a whole bunch as an intermediate and advanced lifter. And the accountability so becomes more important even than consistency. It's not now about making sure, it's not that you know coaches looking over my shoulder, making sure I'm doing my workouts. It's what that gives you by hitting record on your phone or, or if you're seeing a coach in person by having that coach wait for you that, you know, 11 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, you know that they're going to be there. And so that accountability matters. And so I think that's where we start to see the transition from technique and consistency to programming and accountability for the intermediate lifter. So let's talk about the advanced. lifter. I'm, am I considered an advanced lifter at this point? Yeah. Oh, in for future? sure. Yeah, you're definitely advanced. And by the way, advanced doesn't necessarily mean how strong you are, although it almost always is accompanied with that. It's often more of how long does it take between, say, PRs, right? In the beginning, you're hitting PRs as a beginner, literally every workout, literally every single workout. And as an intermediate, maybe you're hitting a, a, P, a PR as a personal record, a personal record, a personal best, some people call it. And maybe you're hitting that as an intermediate lifter once a week, somewhere in there, maybe even up to once every couple weeks. And as an advanced lifter, you know you've deadlifted 615 pounds. How long? How many sessions does it take? How much time does it take? Even even if the emphasis were on the deadlift for you to hit a 620 pound deadlift at this point, I mean, a long time, right? Not not a month, not two months, probably three to six months, maybe a year. Like it takes a long time, and so. That's really what identifies an advanced lifter. How long does it take to go through that that stress recovery adaptation cycle, what we call the SRA cycle, to be able to accumulate enough stress, recover from that stress, and adapt to that stress to be able to hit another personal record? Well, okay, so yeah, my last deadlift PR was
0: last March. Well, no, it was it was 2020, two 2020. Ago, right? yeah, it was two yeah. marches ago. So 615. And to get from my previous one was 605. To get from 605 to 615, it took a year and yeah. a little bit more. And then the reason why I haven't had a PR in a while, we'll talk about this. One of the challenges, is injuries I've been having to deal with. We'll talk about that. But why is it as you as you get stronger, it takes
1: longer and longer and longer for you to hit PRs? Like what's going on physiologically? Yeah. Again, it comes back to that stress recovery adaptation cycle. So if you've done nothing, you can literally again get off the couch, stop watching Netflix, and go ride your bicycle around the neighborhood once, and your body will respond to that. Like it will adapt to that. That is a stress that you have not exposed your body to. And so I would rather expose your body to squats and deadlifts. I think I'd be. But look, anywhere you want to start is fine. At the point that you are doing things like. You know, three sets of five squats with, you know, 385 pounds or 400 pounds, and, you know, five sets of three or four sets of three on deadlift at, at 525. That's a lot of stress, but your body's already adapted to that stress. So now you have to take the stress even further. You have to do even more stress to your body. And so, and not just the stress of a single session, but the, the additive piece of multiple sessions accumulating stress over a period of time, over a period of weeks or even months to get enough stress accumulated to be able to adapt to that stress and get better. And so it's just like, I mean, it's anything, anybody who's incredibly proficient at anything goes through this. It takes at some point, the stress has to constantly get become, it's got to be more and more and more over time. And so for you, the amount of stress it's going to take to get to a 625 deadlift is a tremendous amount of stress. In fact, so much stress that I would argue that one of the reasons you haven't hit a deadlift PR the last couple of years is that you were not willing to go through that amount of stress to hit the deadlift PR because that wasn't a priority in your life, which is fine, by the way, right? If you're like, hey, I'd rather have the stress of like, let's go rucking, let's hike, let's do mud runs with my wife, let's hang out with the kids, let's go do like, let's those are, those things are fine. At some point, the pursuit of strength becomes, at, at some point, you're, you get so advanced that the amount of stress that it takes to keep hitting PRs is a tremendous bolus or dosage of stress to be able to recover, adapt, and hit a PR. And that's why it gets harder and harder and harder because that amount of stress gets greater and greater and greater than the length of time needed to get that stress grows and thus takes longer. And so you can't hit PRs every workout or every week or even every month. It becomes once a year sort of thing for most most really advanced lifters. That's they kind of they kind of train for once or twice a year PRs. That's the goal. And I think this principle applies to not just weightlifting. I mean you say that
0: you see it in running as well, like really hardcore runners, they're thinking in terms of months. Sometimes six months where they're just accumulating stress so they make make that adaptation. But you can see this in other areas, like bit, the world of business, if you're if you own a business, right if you have when you first start a business, it's pretty easy to get those gains, right? you're're yep, you're making, you're making sure. big wins. But then once you reach a level of proficiency to eke out
1: like a one percent increase, it just takes a massive amount of work. Yeah, I can remember when I used to compare literal days of the month. So, you know, it's, it's August 10th. I'm going to compare August 10th to July 10th and see if we had the same amount of revenue on the 10th of the 10th. That's, that's a bad game to play six or seven years into a business. And even month to month, even if I look at revenue or net profitability or whatever, in August compared to July, that's like, we've been a business too long. You have to start looking at quarter to quarter or even year over year. What did this August look like compared to last August? And I think training is the same. We You, you just can't have, you can't have those blinders on or be so narrowly focused that you're looking at, well, what did I do Monday? Now it's Wednesday. Like, no, 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 no. You're an advanced lifter. You've got to start to think. You've got to pull way, way back and see the forest through the trees, and really look at those things from a thirty thousand foot view. And, I, and you're exactly right. Business is the same way. Really, anything that you're pursuing consistent progress over time is going to be exactly the same way. Right. Losing weight is another one. You
0: can lose a lot of weight really fast, but then once you want to, if you want to get, you know, Brad Pitt Fight Club, like shredded, that's gonna that it gets harder and harder and harder
1: as you get closer to that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, to go from, say, 30% body fat to 25% body fat is pretty easy. To go from 10% body fat, which is already really hard, to 5% body fat or 6% body fat is, I mean, you essentially have to give up your entire life to do that. I mean, you, you almost can't be a husband and a father to be that level lean. You have to eat you know, things you don't want to, I mean, it's, it's chicken breast and broccoli all day. And most people don't want to do that. And by the way, I think most people shouldn't do that because again, for us, it's about quality of life improvement. And that's not, if your ultimate goal is to be a very successful bodybuilder and stand on stage and be, you know, 5% body fat or 4% body fat, like, okay, more power to you. But the reality is, is that ninety nine percent of your audience that's listening they just want they just want to be strong. They want to look strong. They want to look healthy. They want to look relatively jacked, and they want to keep up with their family and have have this longevity piece, right? This this piece of health that improves their quality of life. And that's for the vast majority of people. That's the goal, and that's the thing that doesn't change from the beginner. So you talk about earlier in the show, we talked about well, everybody's a beginner. Almost everybody's a beginner. and There's very few people who are advanced, but almost everyone who's probably listening to this podcast really wants to do this thing to improve their quality of life. And so improving your quality of life as a beginner via strength training and fitness is pretty easy. Continuing to improve your quality of life, Brett McKay's quality of life as an advanced lifter, as somebody who's super active, who goes hiking all the time, who goes up in the mountains with his family and and hikes and rucks and whatnot, like that becomes much more difficult to continue to improve quality of life at an advanced level, but it's still the goal. The goal is to improve your quality of life, not... I, I can't imagine you in a pink thong bikini standing on stage, oiled up with other dudes. I don't think that's what you're going for. I think, I think you're going for quality of life improvement. Maybe. <laughs> so, I Maybe. am picturing it right now. Everyone close uh, their eyes. Every, picturing. Everyone's picturing this right now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors.
0: And now back to the show. So you said uh, as you become an advanced lifter, programming becomes more important because you have to accumulate enough stress to make that adaptation. So I mean, just big picture, it's going to differ from athlete to athlete, but how do you
1: program for an advanced lifter? Yeah, again, it's just minimum effective dose programming changes. So there really is just this systematic approach to programming where in the beginning, we can just add a little more weight to the bar for as long as we can. And as long as I can add five pounds to the bar every single workout, why would I do anything else? I I, I am showing that I have no discipline if I get bored with adding five pounds to the squat every single workout. I love adding five pounds to the squat. As long as I can do that, that sounds awesome. I mean, imagine, imagine that right now, being able to do that for another two years, just adding five pounds to the bar every single workout. That's great. And that's what beginners are able to do. So intensity is... How heavy? So that's that adding five pounds or adding two and a half pounds to the bar. And then at some point that stops or otherwise we'd all squat a thousand pounds. And so at some point you can't add weight to the bar anymore. You have to start manipulating other variables. So you start thinking, okay, well now potentially in order to increase stress, I have to add a little more volume. I can't do three sets of five anymore, which is say 15 total work reps. Maybe I have to do four sets of five or even four sets of four, which is 16. It's one extra rep. It actually makes a pretty big difference. And so I can do that. I can add more frequency, right? I can go from three times a week training to four times a week training. I can go to an upper lower split. So two lower body days and two upper body days. I can start to manipulate the sets and reps I can move, you know, if I want to get more volume, I can go from sets of five to sets of six up to sets of eight, maybe someone or even higher for someone who's pursuing hypertrophy, or I can also go the other way around. I can go instead of three sets of five on something like a bench press or press, I could flip it and go five sets of three and keep adding weight to the bar for a little bit longer. It's just, you know, it's more tonnage, which is just the amount of weight you're lifting times the reps times the sets. And so those are things that you do and you just keep making those systematic one change at a time, variable changes, in order to keep making progress. If you do that right, you know, powerlifting for years has had this concept of what they call the deload, which is where you accumulate so much stress you can't you can't recover from the stress. So you have to take a deload week or a deload couple weeks, and that doesn't mean typically no training. It means you back off a training a lot and allow the stress to dissipate so that you can recover. Well, I I would argue that if you program correctly, you really rarely need a deload. You just continue to make sure you add a little tiny bit of stress each time, let the body keep adapting, and you keep moving down that systematic line. And so we can manipulate those variables of intensity, which is how heavy, volume, which is how much, frequency, which is how often, or even density, which is how much I'm doing in a period of time. So if I only have an hour or only have 45 minutes, can I get more work done in that in that amount of time. And we, we can even look at things like, you know, total amount of work done in, in the session or tonnage in the session or force production in the this, in this session. We can do all of those things. Okay, so that kind of answers my next question. So one challenge that I've seen as I've been doing this for a
0: long time is, yeah, the PRs get further and further apart. And the thing about PRs is that they're really motivating. It feels good. It releases that dopamine and it makes you want to keep training to get to that next PR. And so when your PR comes a year, maybe two years if you have an injury. Right. How do you help your clients stay motivated when the PR
1: stop coming as frequently? Or even they just stop? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a great question. Actually, we just did a, a podcast episode on this, on, on Barba Logic. You know, you just have to have a paradigm shift about what a PR is. A PR is not just a one-rep max. It's it's There are all sorts of PRs. So there are all sorts of strength PRs. So most of us can chase... PRs in, in different rep ranges, you know, maybe, or maybe it's a, you know, a 225 for reps on a specific lift or a 315 for reps on a specific lift. You can chase that. Uh, at some point, if you've trained long enough and you get old enough, you'll no longer hit any of those PRs. And at that point you have to start to change the metrics or change what the PRs, so you get an over forty PR or an over fifty years years old PR, or uh, you know your body weight was at two fifty and now it comes down to below two twenty five, and so you have an under two twenty five PR or a, a two hundred pound body weight PR. You start to look at health metric PRs like can I consistency PRs, waist measurement PRs, body weight PRs, heart rate PRs, sleep PRs. So I track my sleep every night. I, I use a sleep app that I love attached to my, one of my wearables and I track it on, on our app. How much total sleep did I get? How much deep sleep did I get? And I track that as PRs. I mean, I really do. I think those things become important. And that paradigm shift again, from, you know, I was a, I was a fairly high level powerlifter. I was a, a pro I won my pro card in strongman. That's not me anymore. I'm 43 years old. I'm in my mid forties. I'm, I can't pick up 1100 pounds on my shoulders and run down the street anymore with a 1100 pound yoke or flip a thousand pound tire. That's just not, This just not going to happen. And so, so you have to have a little bit of a paradigm shift and you have to start to pursue fun and different metrics or PRs in, in later in life, or as an advanced lifter, or as, as my old podcast partner calls it post advanced lifters, people who have been advanced, but are, are maybe no longer there. They're not, they're not going to pursue the 625 pound deadlift anymore. And so, you know, we just got back from a family vacation out in Colorado. We did tons of hikes at 10,000 to 12,000 feet and just tracking the distance or, you know, what my, you know, what my mile time was, which is not very good when you're at 12,000 feet and you're hiking lots of elevation or what my heart rate is or, you know, my pulse ox. like those are just fun things to gamify and that works for some people. And some people, they don't want to have anything to do with that stuff. That's okay. So sometimes then you just, you make it more about just like daily living. And so we, you know, I do think, and we've talked about this a lot as well on our podcast, that idea that I originally, you and I talked about years ago, you hear this idea of discipline over motivation all the time. Discipline over motivation. Discipline over motivation is what it's all about. And, and I think you wrote an article for your site. I, I just don't think that's sustainable long-term. I, th- I think that there's times when you're trying to change something, that having discipline for a couple weeks over motivation is absolutely important. But if at some point you're not motivated to continue that change, that is not going to be a sustainable change. And so at some point if, and I can remember going through this as I was as I was transitioning from mostly competitive lifter to coach and business owner, I struggled with this for about six months to a year where I was trying to pursue other PRs. But what I really wanted to do was, chase after an 800-pound deadlift. And eventually, you get to the point where you have the paradigm shift. You're like, look, an 800-pound deadlift is not going to improve my quality of life anymore. I'm 40 years old. I'm married. I've got kids. I've got a business. I've got employees. I want to pursue other PRs. And we can do that. And because I've walked through the refining power of strength training, and I think that voluntary hardship piece of strength training is huge. I think for your listeners, if they haven't done that, they should do that. They should pursue that for several years. Get strong first. And then once you're strong, you can make that decision. I remember having this conversation with you for the very first time that you did this, probably back in, I don't know, 16, 17, somewhere in there. And I said, okay, Brett, you're strong enough for anything that life is going to throw at you do you want to keep getting stronger? Do you want to change the goal? And at the time you said, I think I want to keep getting strong. I want to keep getting stronger. Okay, perfect. And we did. And we keep... But I think if I asked the same, Brett, I, if I asked you today, I think you would say, you know what? I just want to be like really healthy and enjoy life and have quality life. I think I, I don't want to... Is that... Would that be fair? That, or do you, No, like, I think... Hey, that, I really want a 700-pound deadlift at this point. I'll no, do anything I don't, to get it.
0: Does not does not appeal to me. It's, it's interesting <laughs> right. too, how that, how that change has happened. So it was last it was actually last year when I was at the 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 event you had where you, at the block mm-hmm. party where we mm-hmm. um and there was like a, a lift off it was really fun it was like a it was friendly competition and I pulled 585 which was like the heaviest I had you know pulled in a long time and I remember afterwards I thought that didn't I didn't like that that <laughs> that, <laughs> that didn't feel good and right and I I it reminded me that okay if I wanted to get a 625 I'm gonna have to feel bad and I don't know if I want to do that anymore. And so it's yeah, it, right. it's been it's been interesting to see my mind shift on this stuff. It's been gradual. It hasn't been like one day I woke up and decided this is how it's going to be. But for my training, it's it's you know you hear this cliche about you know process over outcomes, and I'm like oh whatever. That's outcomes. You need an outcome. But it, it really when I go down to train, I I don't have like a, a goal in mind. Like I'm, this is for a, a 700 pound deadlift or whatever. It's sure. just I enjoy going down to my garage. I put earplugs in. I don't even listen to music anymore. I just enjoy getting under the barbell and and just doing it. I just I really do enjoy the process. Now that's not to say if if I did hit a PR, I would I would love that. I would be, I would sure. be happy with it. But it's not like I'm 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 not grasping for it. Like I'm not dedicating my entire life because when I was getting those like heavy deadlifts and heavy squats, you you really do have to shift your entire life around that. Like you can't, well, I can't
1: do this because I won't recover and I got to eat this food. And,
0: and it, it does become tiring. It's been nice not have to do that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And of course that's not the case at all for beginners and intermediates. I mean, you, right. you can get your first 300 pound deadlift and your first 400 pound deadlift and really change your life. Not at all other than introducing yeah. training into your life. And so at the point that you're now pushing a 600 plus pound deadlift, things have to change in your life. You can't continue to pursue PRs and, and, other things are going to, you know, it's like a budget. You only have so much stress you you can deal with. And so the amount of stress it takes to hit those PRs means that you have to pull stress or pull some weeds from your life in other places. And for most people, when they get in their 40s and they're, again, they're businessmen or, or, you know, husbands and fathers and those things become more important. And so, yes, I have always enjoyed the process of training. Even when I was a, a very competitive powerlifter, when I was a very competitive strongman, I just didn't enjoy the powerlifting meets and the strongman competitions as much as I did the process to get there. And and I, I, I've always loved to try. I love to train. Now, again, I, I have, we have lots of clients that they consider training a spoonful of medicine. That's what it is. And it's still about quality of life improvement, and the way it makes them feel, and what they get out of it. You know, not not for what they get out of for the PR three months down the road, but what they get out of literally on a day to day basis. And they don't enjoy it. I hate that for them. I I want to try to continue to find some motivation for those clients to have them. It's it's funny what often the clients that are that consider training a spoonful of medicine, they're often the most consistent which is surprising right the most compliant For me though I just I enjoy it I, I enjoy training I train my wife. And she's pretty strong. She's certainly not nearly as strong as I am, but this is quality time for us. We go in the gym and you know our kids are a you 17-year-old know, and a 12-year-old. They're old enough to take care of themselves. They're, you know, they don't have to we're not changing diapers and feeding bottles. And so we can go in there, we can get a good hour session in together as a as a couple. We walk around the neighborhood every single morning. I really enjoy that. We hiked in Colorado every single morning together. I enjoy that. Like I love that process. And same thing. I'm not pursuing a a PR necessarily for me, it's about pursuing quality of life and health. And and so maybe the PR is, you know, waist measurement or body weight. I've spent a lot of my life as a competitive lifter, closer to 300 pounds to try to compete at that level. And now it's the other way around. I'm trying to push closer to 200 pounds more, you know, closer and closer. So, the, the PRs just have to change. The paradigm shift has to occur where you go, well, I'm just not looking for the single max effort thing that I can do. And so, you know, and as you get lighter for somebody like me, I, I can probably still hit PRs on something like a pull-up. As my right, body sure. weight goes from 285 or 290 to 225, I might be able to hit an all-time PR pull-up, right? Pull-ups for because I weigh less and so, or, or whatever that is. And so the key there is to change or have some sort of perception change about the types of PRs that you're pursuing and and find things that are motivating and fun. And, and that's what I think we've done for you as well. Yeah, another thing you've done too is we stick
0: to the main barbell lifts for my training, but you've also incorporated some bodybuilding stuff to keep things fresh. So I'm doing stuff with dumbbells like high reps, getting a pump. And I, I enjoy
1: that. It it just it mixes it up and it keeps things fun. Yeah, you just makes you feel good, right? I like it too. I like, there's nothing wrong with those things. It's that again, for the beginner, the beginner often does those things in lieu of the barbell. We want to spend our time pay our dues under the barbell first. And once we get pretty strong, we can bring those things back in. And And I think there's nothing wrong with some more of those isolation movements or hypertrophy specific movements. And so, yeah, you do a lot of like curls and rolling dumbbell extensions and dips and a lot of body weight stuff, you know, chin-ups. And I do that with a lot of my clients, glute ham raises and and different things like push-ups and things like that. They, just because it's enjoyable at the end and they've already accomplished some level of strength. And so the other thing that for the older lifters, you start to get older and in your middle age, it's For me, it's much easier to accumulate volume and tonnage on those movements than it is the barbell movement. So, older lifters are intensity-dependent and volume-sensitive. So, volume just wrecks older people. And when I say older people, I'm talking about in their 60s. I'm talking about you. You're listening right now. You're 41 years old. You're old. That's sorry that is. You're volume sensitive. You can't do five sets of five on squats anymore. I, dude, I have no desire to ever do five sets of five on squats ever. Now, listen, everybody needs to go through a period of their life where they do that five sets of five, like when they're 21 or 25 or 18 or whatever. Now I do one set of five or two sets of three, and then I get my volume in on those other things. So, you know, I've got a leg extension, leg curl machine, a glute ham raise, a reverse hyper, an echo bike, all of those sort of things. That's where I'll accumulate my my volume and my tonnage because it doesn't beat me up. It doesn't beat my joints up anymore. I've been a competitive lifter since I was 19 years old. I, you know, it's 20 years of competition or my belt. I don't want to do five sets of five on squats. Let me, let me do the heavy squat. It's still, still a pretty heavy squat because I'm intensity dependent, but I'm volume sensitive and most older people are. And so I'll get the volume in with those accessory movements. And I love them. Feels good. Heart rate gets up. I'll do them circuit style. So, you know, heart rate will get up to like 155, 160. Feel good. Big, both a pump in the muscle and a pump in the heart. And uh, I just like the way it makes me feel. And I've found that it does the same thing for most of my clients.
0: Okay. So declining PRs, um, not decline. Well, the PR shifts. You have to have have a shift in process or shift in uh, goals and focus more on the process and just learn to enjoy it. And that's, I've made that. And I, I don't think there's anything you could tell someone to like, this is how you make the shift. It just, I, I think it just happens naturally. Another challenge that I've noticed in my own lifting experience, and this might be unique to me, but when I started training with you, my kids were little. Gus was five, Scout was two. Yeah. And when your kids are little, they don't really do much. They just eat and Exit. I mean, re- I mean really, they don't they don't do they a sleep lot. and poop That's sleep what they do. and poop and then they go to school and then they come back. Well, now my kids, they're older, so they're doing activities like they're playing sports. I'm a coach for a, a flag football team. They're doing church activities. I'm an adult leader for the teenagers at our congregation. And so I feel like a lot I've just like I have less time sure or time just you know, I don't so like in my afternoons, I'll get down like, man, today I got this thing I gotta go to. I've got 30 minutes. Yep. Is, is, that a, is that a challenge you see with, you know, particularly like late 30s to 40-year-old trainers? Yeah, for, for sure.
1: I mean, I, I think that's just, that's life in the Western world, right, is that we we get really, really busy. And so I think, you know, the question is then if I only have 30 minutes or only have 40 minutes or only have 25 minutes, do I just skip the workout or do I Yeah, train? that's and, the question I always have. Like, do I, just, do I just skip or should I try to get something in? I should train. Okay. And you just focus on density of training. And again, density, there's nothing. Don't don't let that word like fly over your head. It just means how much work can you get done in the amount of time? That's it, right? So if you have programmed three sets of five, but you can't get in three sets of five, but you can go in and hit one set of what we call AMRAP, as many reps as possible. So you're supposed to do three sets of five on squat at let's say 315. You're like, well, I don't have time to do three sets of five, but I can do one set of 315 for as many as I can do. And you hit 315 for eight or nine. And you're like, bro, that was so hard. That was, that's great work in a short period of time. And the same thing on that, except that accessory stuff. That's why I circuit that accessory stuff. That's why I don't do all my sets of, you know, barbell curls. And then all my sets of rolling double extensions and all my sets of pull-ups. Like you just go a set of pull-up set of rolling double extensions, set of curls set up. And you can do, you know, 30 seconds on 30 seconds off. And in nine minutes, you can do nine sets, three rounds of three exercise. That's a bunch of work in nine minutes. And so I, I watch my time again, because I track it on a wearable. And so I know how long my workouts take. I, I can remember making this transition a few years ago and, and training with some of my coworkers and my, some of my C-suite, we'd travel and do seminars together and they would go in and they were still used to doing, you know, that hour and a half long workout. They enjoyed the hour and a half long workout and work. And I would, you know, we, we, we go to some fancy Taj Mahal Globo gym in some city and I, I get my entire workout done in like 32 minutes And I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to go sit in the sauna. And they're like, what? You're done? I'm like, yeah, I've I've done 12 sets in 32 minutes. I'm done. And so, you know, for me, it's just about how much can I get done in a short period of time? I'm a CEO of a company. I've got wife and kids and same leadership at my church. And I just, I don't always have an hour, hour and a half. By the way, I don't want to give an hour and a half anymore. I've done that for 20 years. And so, yeah, I would say you still get in the gym, you get done what you can. I do this all the time for my clients for, for vacation. One of the things I love about online coaching is that because they're not coming to see me in person. So one of my clients that, you know, they go to, I don't know, Mexico on vacation. I say, Hey, as soon as you get there, walk into the gym and take a 30-second, like 360 degree, you know, video of the of the hotel gym, which isn't very good. And I'll program for them. And I'll say, Hey, let's just do like 20 minutes in the morning. You wake up, you know, you wake up half an hour for your family, 20 minutes for your family for breakfast, and you're not wasting family time on vacation. You go down there, you get a real good workout in, in like 20 minutes, and it's just exercise. It's not training. It's not heavy squats and deadlifts, because most hotel gyms don't have barbells, but it's something, and it keeps the habit up. You feel better at the beach. You feel better when you're eating the breakfast and the, you know, and the all-inclusive food, and so I think it's perfectly fine to focus on density of training in those in those times of life where everything is just busy and crazy. You can get a lot done in 30 minutes. You really can. And uh, so don't use that as an excuse to not train. Yeah, and my experience
0: I'll just skip accessory work if it's programmed. And I've done that a few times where if I have 3 sets of 5, but I only I'll, I'll do a set of 5 and then a set of 5 of the next exercise. And that's it. And it's basically yeah. I just want to get the consistency in and I don't know how much there is this idea of detraining, but I'm, you know, I just keeping that stress accumulating in the muscle as much as
1: possible. Yeah, it's actually very real. Yeah, not doing anything is not what we want to do. And so, right. again, when we go on vacation, I don't necessarily want my clients, especially if my clients are like really older, like in their 60s, I want them to go on vacation and just not do anything. Just go enjoy it, especially if they train consistently. Now, for most of us in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, doing something will avoid detraining. And detraining just is a word that just means going backwards. I just don't want to go backwards. I'm not going to get stronger on vacation. I'm not going to get stronger on a business trip, but I can go in and do something and I can keep the habit up and I can keep the consistency and the compliance up. Even if I don't, if I'm not able to put a heavy barbell on my back and squat, I can still get into the hotel gym with dumbbells and kettlebells and body weight stuff and knock out a pretty good workout and feel good, get a good sweat on and, and maintain the habit, which is really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to maintain a sustainable habit that lasts for life. And so that's that's what I'm doing. It's just, again, takes a paradigm shift. You can't do that when you're competing for the world's strongest man. That's, you can't go down right. and do a hotel workout and probably get anything out of it. But for most of us, we can for sure. And I think the other shift there is just don't freak out about it too. I think that's one of the hard
0: things to do when you're you're transitioning from a beginner or intermediate lifter to this more advanced lifter. You you freak out and you get all down when your workout sucks. You weren't able to get a workout in the way you wanted. At a certain point, it's like, you know what? In the long run, it's not going to matter that this workout was bad. Just get it done and and move on.
1: That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That type A person really pursues a lot of time. They're just like, it's a check. If I can't check it off the list, then I get depressed about the thing. And, and again, this is about seeing the force through the trees. This is about a thing that lasts 20, 30, 40, 50 years, not 20, 30, 40, 50 days. And so when you think about it that way, like what's, what's one workout going to matter? It's not, it's not, it's about the process. All right. So let's talk about another challenge that I
0: faced uh, since I've been lifting for so, for so long. If you've been training long enough, you're likely going to encounter injuries. It's like a knee activity. You do it long enough you're going to, there's a risk involved. And what's interesting, the injuries I've had are not catastrophic. They're not acute. They're not like I was under the barbell and my knee gave out. Sure. The injuries I've had to deal with are tendon injuries. Yeah. Why is it that, and I think in your experience too, with working with clients, those are the most common injuries. It's just issues with tendons,
1: et cetera. Why is it, why, why do tendons get cranky when you train? <laughs> yeah. Well, those are what we call overuse injuries. It's overuse, I mean, that's what it is. And, you know, people, first off, everybody gets injured. Non-lifters get injured all the time, right? So people, like, you know, how many times have you heard your dad or your neighbor throw their back out? And they don't throw their back out deadlifting. They throw their back out dropping their keys on the floor, you know? And so that injuries happen to anybody. You're exactly right. Big, acute, catastrophic injuries, big muscle tears, or like, you know, knee blowouts, t- torn ACLs, torn MCLs. That sort of stuff almost never happens in the weight room. As a matter of fact, there are incredible published studies on this. If you think about everybody's seen the kind of fail videos on, on Instagram. You look at how many people lift with incorrect form, and they just do stupid, <laughs> stupid stuff. And even in those fail videos, most of them don't actually get injured. That's what's crazy if you're lifting with good form, with proper form, with, you know, you're being coached, the chances of a catastrophic injury is very low, but but the chances of an overuse injury is very high. Something like a tendinosis, which is just where it's just a, it's, it used to be thought of as an inflammation of the tendon. It's actually a degradation of the tendon for the most part. And it's just where the tendon is overused. There's not a lot of blood flow to the tendon, right? You think about like an old high school or college anatomy class, you know, the muscles are red, the tendons are white. And the tendons are white because there's not a lot of blood flow. And so there's not a lot of blood flow. There's not a lot of nutrients being carried to the tendons. Therefore, when they start to become overused or injured, it's very difficult to rehab them. And so we deal with tendinosis or what most people would call tendinitis more than probably anything else. And for younger lifters, we see it a lot. And as a matter of fact, I think the first article I wrote for Art of was on how to deal with bicep tendinitis, not the elbow, uh, what would be called distal tendinitis, right? The, the low end of the bicep down at the elbow. Our older lifters often have bicep tendonitis up at the shoulder, right? The, a lot of people might not know the bicep actually crosses the shoulder. We see elbow tendinitis on, on the tricep side as well, right? We see adductor tendonitis. You dealt with that, right? In the groin, tendinitis in the knee. So the knees do hurt. It's not a catastrophic failure, but they just, you know, patellar tendonitis, like pate- the patella. And the, those things are, man, they're just such a pain in the butt. They really are because... You can train around them, but they're not going to get better unless you really aggressively rehab them. And so for tendinosis or tendinitis or this degradation of the tendon, we have a, a system that we've used. It works pretty well. We've used it for you several times. What we do is really a three-part system where you do an isometric hold in the shortened position. Now I realize I just said a bunch of words that probably a lot of people don't understand exactly. But for example, when you're when your groin was, you had not a strain in your groin, but you actually had tendinosis in your, in your groin, which is the tendon that attaches to the inside of your thigh, to your adductor muscles, right? We had you make two fists. We might even put this, maybe a picture or something in the show notes. And two fists and put your fists together and put them between your knees. And you squeezed your knees together against your fist and held it as hard as you could for about 30 seconds. And so that is an isometric, meaning it's not moving, a not moving hold where you're contracting in the shortened position. So we don't want to stretch the tendon. I had the same problem. I, I would have Achilles and plantar, Achilles tendonitis and, and plantar fasciitis that it wraps around the bottom of your heel. And I thought, oh, I just need to stretch my calves more. And I was getting them when I was I was walking and hiking a lot. And the more I stretch my calves, the more they hurt. And then I realized, wait a minute, I need to go up and do a calf raise and hold myself in a in the high position of a calf raise for 30 seconds as tight as I can. And then just come back down to the floor. I don't need to stretch the tendon. It's a degree it's a degraded tendon. I need need to actually let it get stronger in that isometric hold. And so that'll turn some of those pain receptors off, but it'll also start to strengthen the tendon in a way that doesn't stretch it and continue to aggravate it, right? And then once we've done that for a while, we slowly increase the range of motion. And so we just start to move the range of motion a little more, not a full range of motion, a little more. So now maybe I'm doing calf raises from the floor, but I'm not stretching my calf. So I'm just going up, calf raise, come back down on the floor, go back up, hold, come back down, go back up, come back down. And then eventually I start to titrate up to full range of motion. And then I start to titrate the weight up. And we did the same thing with you. We did this with your adductor, with your groin. We, we held the position, We did shortened range of motion squats. We made it a little better. We increased the range of motion on the squat, nice and light, eventually got to full range of motion squat, and then titrated the weight up and you were fine. It just takes a long time. There's there's no way to fix the tendinosis problem in like 10 days. It just doesn't work very well. So it takes, you know, this is a four week to six week process a lot of times
0: yeah and uh yeah and the reason why it takes so long is again there's no blood flow going there so it just takes a long i mean there's very little that's so right it takes a very long little. time for your blood to get stuff to the tendons to start start strengthening it
1: yeah that's right so you know we have seen people tear muscles i mean big time strength athletes tear biceps and tear path torn a pec pretty bad and when you tear the muscle itself it bleeds a lot like you gotta get the bleeding stopped you gotta ice it and that's a, that's a matter of fact, I've written an article for your, for your site there as well about the Bill Starr re- routine, which is specifically for muscle tears, muscle belly tears. We've seen people tear, uh, like I've seen, I've seen guys tear their bicep tendon, you know, strong men do this all the time, doing the stones, the heavy stones, or when people deadlift really heavy with an alternate grip. So they have that underhanded hand on the deadlift. They'll tear their bicep tendon. It doesn't bleed at all. Like their whole bicep ends up in a ball up by their shoulder And there's no bruising. It is so weird to see that. Well, it's because they didn't tear the muscle fibers. They tore the tendon. And you can really see that there's just no, there's no blood there. Whereas I I one time I I had a partial tear in my right bicep doing chin-ups. And I actually tore a portion of the bicep muscle itself. It bruised awful so what you tear or what you hurt or what you injure certainly depends on how you rehab the thing and how you rehab a torn muscle or which is the same thing as just a muscle strain it's just a minorly torn muscle versus a tendinosis versus a you know a, a back joint issue or a knee joint issue something like that is is completely different the way you rehab those things but tendinosis is certainly the most common thing so again isometric holds first slowly increase the range of motion once you're at full range of motion titrate the weight up a little bit at a time just be patient don't get greedy and that's how you get rid of the tendinosis.
0: Yeah, and we've used this process. I've had different, so I had the, the adductor tendinosis. I also had an, a, an impinged shoulder for yep. a little bit there. Yep. Uh, how long ago was that? That was like two years ago. Yeah, it's been a little while, for sure. Yeah, and the, what we did there is, there's really, I don't, we didn't really do any of the isometric stuff, but what we did do is we changed the way I bench press. So instead of holding sure. your typical bench grip, right, we moved to
1: dumbbells so I could have a neutral grip. Correct. So an impingement, if you think about an impingement, it's really just like, it's sort of like early osteoarthritis An impingement, like there's something getting impinged between bony structures. And so that's different than a a tendinosis. And so we, the first thing you have to do, and it's really similar to the tendinosis is you got to stop aggravating the thing. And so if every time you bench press or every time you press, you're continuing to kind of rub the, you know, what it was essentially the head of your humerus of the upper arm into your AC joint, and you're, you're kind of grinding that away, that's a problem. So we have to stop that. So we've got to stop. we are going to stop because it's irritated, and it's inflamed, and it hurts. And so we got to just stop aggravating the thing. And so you have to make some adjustments often to the movement or to the range of motion. But we didn't stop lifting, right? Like that's really important too, that when you stop, you don't get better like we continue to lift through it because a strong back is a resilient back. It's a back that's less vulnerable to injuries. Everybody that's listening to this has got a hurt back. You've got disc degeneration in your back. Like you've got an old bum knee from, so you're like, well, I can't squat. Yes, you can. The more you get the muscles around the knee strong, the less, the less... Sheer force there is on the knee itself because the muscles are able to handle that, all that moment force, that rotational force around the knee. I want the I want that force on the muscles. I don't want it on the bony joint. That's the bad place for it to be. And so anytime you have those injuries to say, like, man, I'm just gonna sit around and do nothing, how did you get better? You just got weaker and you just got more vulnerable to a future injury. And so we figure out we've got to figure out a way to work around it. Motion is lotion. It makes things better, but we've got to do it in a way that's intelligent.
0: Here's the thing with injuries, though. Maybe we can walk this through. There is a mental game that goes on with injuries. You, oh. you, I had these phone calls with you where I would just be like despondent. Like, man, I sure. can't
1: squat. This sucks. How do you manage the mental game of injuries? <laughs> it's a whole other podcast. I mean, it's, it's debilitating, right? The reality is, is that we know if you do nothing and you've tried this, we've all tried this. You do nothing and I mean, nothing for two weeks, nothing for three weeks, nothing for a month. And you come back and do it. The injury still there. So it doesn't go away by doing nothing. And so the frustrating part is trying new things and having a different tool in your toolbox every few weeks. You got to give it enough time. So you can't do, you know, use the tool for three days. And if it doesn't work, no, no, no. You got to use it for two, three weeks. Okay. We're not really seeing the sort of improvement that we want. So now we're going to change the tool. So you rehab the thing that hurts and you pursue PRs that are reachable in areas that aren't injured. That's what you yeah. do. And yeah. that's how you keep it going. And so, and people do this all the time too, right? They, they have surgery or they, you know, whatever. They've got an ankle injury. And so well they can't do it. Like, yeah, you can bench press with an ankle injury and you can do seated presses with an ankle injury. And you can do all kinds of upper body stuff with an ankle injury. And so, yeah, it's frustrating that you can't hit squat and deadlift PRs with an ankle injury, but you can hit other PRs. And so you train what you can and you rehab the thing that's hurt. And you know we are very rarely in a position where we are systemically injured, right? Where we're like our whole body again, like somebody's somebody's going through, you know, radiation treatments or chemotherapy, or like that's a that's a systemic thing. They've got to work through the whole thing. By the way, I, we've had lots of stories of clients who have trained through cancer and, and gotten strong, and and would attribute a lot of the muscle mass and the strength that they had built over the years to to their really their healing process through the through the cancer treatments. But for most of us, those injuries are are acute enough. They're, they're in a specific spot. And so we can try to rehab that spot and hit PRs in other spots. And uh, and that's really how you fight the mental game is you just keep training and training through it and uh, pursue the PRs that you can. Well, Matt, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about your work? Yeah, man. Barbell Logic. I mean, we're Barbell Logic. As a matter of fact, the best place to go for Art of listeners is actually barbellogic.com slash AOM. And we have a specific landing page there specifically for Art of Manliness listeners. One, you can answer a few short questions and get matched with a coach, a online coach. It's perfect for you in just a matter of seconds. Your first month is free for online coaching. there is no contract, there's nothing to lose, you can cancel any time, and, uh, and you can train just like Brett does, which is pretty cool. And then the other thing that we have on that landing page is there's a free ebook called "Lifting for the Long Haul," which will help you start thinking of strength training as the foundation for long-term health and give you a simple approach to really strengthen the nutrition that will make your doctor and your family happy. So barbellogic.com slash AOM is a great place to start. Again, we've got the podcast, we've got the YouTube channel. I always tell people to consume the content first before you spend money with us. I think that's a great way to do it and, and see if you like what we put out. And uh, man, thanks for having me on the show. It's been a blast to coach you for the last seven years almost. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited well, here's for the se- future. Here's the seven more. That's right. I'm excited for future different PRs. I'm yeah. excited to coach Gus in a few years. He's almost there. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm always asking, when are you going to start training? That's
0: right. Well, yeah, but I think the PR I'm working on right now is I'm I'm at a lower weight than I'm usually at. I'm at 206. Yep. I I usually was at like a 215, 217.
1: So I'm trying to get PRs at this lighter weight. Yeah, that's just a great way that's to look fun. at it, right? That's so, yeah. and you're 40, right? You're 40 or you're almost 40? I'm turning 40 in December. Okay. So. so it's coming. So, so then we're going to have the post 40 PRs. forty, so everything that you hit in January, it's a, it's a going new P- PR yeah, PR.
0: It's a new That's PR. Right. Uh, it's That's a new lease on it. life. Thanks, Matt. I, I really <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, Hey Matt, Absolutely. thanks so much. Your time has been a pleasure. Thanks brother. My guest today was Matt Reynolds. He's the founder and CEO of Barbell Logic Online Coaching. You can find more information about Barbell Logic at barbell-logic.com. Also, check out that free ebook, Lifting for the Long Haul. It's available at barbell-logic.com AOM. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is lifting, where you find links to resources and delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanlies.com, where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you'd think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up and use code to at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to get a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot done that already thank you please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it as always thank you for the continued support until next time this is brett mckay remind you on listening podcast but put what you've heard into action